God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together to look at your word and to, to learn from what you've handed to us. We approach your scripture as your revealed will, who you are and who we are before the face of a holy God. And Lord, we come to it with nothing. We have nothing to offer you. And so we ask for you to supply us to give to us, to be a resource, our resource. Give of yourself to us that we may know you better once we leave this class. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it's been a while, <coughs> a few weeks, um, since I've taught in here. And I told Rodney, he, he, you know, he's out of town or uh, out today. Or they were out yesterday, I think, uh, and coming back in. So he asked me to teach. And... and I said, well, I mean, I got nothing except the next section in numbers. And he said, okay, do it. And so here we are. I was talking to the guys earlier about that story from uh, uh, Cal John Calvin when he was kicked out of Geneva by the, the council. He was down in another city in Switzerland, and they called him back. And when he came back in, he got in the pulpit, and the first thing he did was turn to the next verse he had stopped at whenever he got kicked out. So I'm not Calvin. I was not kicked out. But, um, but that's my cover for why we're getting back into Numbers. <laughs> so turn with me to Numbers chapter 10. We're going to start verse 11. And the last time we were here, many, many, many moons ago, uh, we had gone through the fact that Israel in the desert at the Mount of God uh, had celebrated Passover for the second time. Uh, the glory cloud had covered the tabernacle, indicating that he had accepted what they had done, that they were finished with pre preparing the house of the Lord. Um, and the instructions for the signals were given regarding the silver trumpets. Remember the hammered silver trumpet? How many of you are here for that one, the silver trumpet thing we talked about? Yeah, Grant, maybe. The so there were, I'll just tell you, there were trumpets, they were silver, and they used them at different tones to indicate where they were marching, when they were marching, how to break camp, and all that kind of stuff. So we talked about that. So here where we're starting today, it's been about 13 months from the time they left Egypt. So they've been there a, year, a little over a year. Uh, at Sinai, they've probably been under their year, it took about two months to get there. And Israel is now ready to set out toward the Promised Land. So let's look at verse 11, chapter 10, and I will read it. In the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies, and over their company was Nashon the son of Amminadab, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Issachar was Nethanel the son of Zuar, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Zebulun was Eliab the son of Helen. Yeah, everybody remember this, we'll have a quiz later. And when the tabernacle was taken down, the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who carried the tabernacle, set out. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out by their companies, and over their company was Elijah the son of 
Shadur. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Simeon was Shemelilil. Shalumiel. Yeah, sorry. It's the, yeah, it's the IELs that kill me. The son of, here we go. Sri Shaddai. Sri Shaddai. Hey, so you break that down. Shaddai. Okay, I get it. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. Dayuel? Duel. We'll go dual. Dual. Then the Kohathites set out. See, when you read this, you don't pronounce it in your head. You're just like, okay, that's a name. Then the Kohathites set out carrying the holy things, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. And the standard of the camp of the people of Ephraim set out by their companies, and over their company was Elishama, the son of Amahud. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Padazur. We'll go with that. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Benjamin was Abadan, the son of Gideoni. Then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps, set out by their companies, and over their company was Ahazir, the son of Amishadai, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Okran, and over the company of the tribe of the people of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Anan, or Inan. And this was the order of march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. All right, we'll stop there. We'll take a breather. Why are they leaving now? It's comfortable under the mountain. They've had food. They've had water. They've had some really cool special effects going on on top of the mountain. Why leave now? What's causing them to go? What? The command of the Lord by Moses. The command of the Lord by Moses. It's at His command that they're now leaving. What are some other things that are going on? The cloud's moving. The cloud is moving, right? And that's a thing. It's not just here at this point. That's a thing. Every time the cloud moves, they move. Every time Moses says, let's go, they're going. Every time the trumpets blow, they know when to do their thing. So this is what's going on. Where is it going? Where is this cloud lifts and settles and where? The wilderness of Paran. Where is that? I'm not seeing that these days. I don't know if we have any treaties with Paran, do we, Americans? We don't know. Scholars, smart folks say generally it's probably in the northern deserts of Sinai, it's where they think it is, but they don't know. But they're leaving by the command of the Lord by Moses. What does the text tell us about the organization of the journey? How do they set out? What's he talking about? In the order we talked about many, many There's that. That's right. And we'll get to that in a second. You're exactly right. What, what else does it tell us about how they're setting out? What are they doing it by? And why? And what does that mean? And all the other follow-up questions I'm going to ask. Companies by stages. Companies by stages. What does that mean, by stages? It's organized. It's organized. Are they doing it in order of the sons of Israel? Well, they're doing it in the order that we were talking about before. Remember, Judah starts, even though he wasn't the firstborn, he's the fourthborn. I just scrolled up slightly and noticed that Benjamin went last. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some of that going on. But the order was given by, um, well, if we go back, we go back to Genesis on that whole deal, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Um, so it's in order of tribes that God had given before we talked about earlier in Numbers, many, many moons ago. Um, what else are they, what does the stages mean? 
Are they all marching at once? <coughs> What's going on here? This is companies. They have like some armed guys up front, maybe? That's exactly what's going on. So they're in stages. You got the first three tribes, which are, you have to help me out with this. It's Judah, right? Leads. Mm -hmm. yes. who's, uh, who's next? Uh, Nash. Zebulun. No, no, no. Tribes. Zebulun. Zebulun? Zebulun. Zebulun's next. We'll call him Zeb. Okay, who else? Issachar. No, Issachar. Issachar then Zebulun. Oh, you're killing me. All right, Issachar. Let's get it right, people. Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. Is Zeb. <laughs> Zeb. And then what happens? And they take down the tabernacle. Right. So the guy. So we had three tribes and or three clans in Levi. Right. Two of them dealt with the structure of the tabernacle. Remember that they take it down. These guys were they were the larger tribes, and so they would deal with the wagons carrying all the planks and the posts and the curtains and the goat skin and all that stuff for the tabernacle. And so you've got. You've got a break here, right? You've got these three leading, the, the tribes they call of the east, leading out. I'm going to knock this thing down. Um, and then it's the, the Levites. So we're going to Levite, and we'll put two tribes. And they've got the stuff for the tabernacle itself, right? Is that what we see? Who's next of the tribes? Uh, that's Reuben and Simeon, I guess, are the Levites. After the Levites? Reuben and Simeon? Yeah. Reuben and Simeon after. Reuben? Yeah. I don't know how to spell his Reuben, name. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Simeon? What? Okay, Rube. Simeon. Rube, he's such a Rube. Simeon. Alright, who else? Gad. Gad. He gets. Okay, so you've got three tribes. Levite. With the stuff for the tabernacle. Ark too. Oh no! Good question. Ark later. Good question. We'll get there. Very good question. All right. In fact, let's stop now. Okay. Okay. Then who's next after Gad? Who do we have? The Kohathites. The Kohathites who are what? Ephraim. No. The who's after who's after Gad? Then the Kohathites. Kohathites are, are a clan of what tribe? Levites. The, they're Levites. So you got Levites number three, right? Because they're holding, carrying holy objects and tabernacle. So Levites, ooh, that's, that's a V. Let's not do that. That's because we're all about there. Let's be clear. Okay, so Levites number three are carrying what? Tabernacle. And holy the holy things. Tabernacle is here. There, got it? Tabernacle is there. And then Levites 3 is is what? What is it? The holy things, which would be what? Now we went through, okay, long time ago. We went through Exodus. The bread of the presence, the Ark of the Covenant. Table, everything the lampstand. The lampstand, the table, the ark, what else? All those basins. How many basins? Yes. All the tools, yes, all the tools that they use, all the stuff that's been dedicated, all the hammered stuff, all the precious things, all the tapestry, all of the, all the precious things have been dedicated and sacrificed over and made holy in the service of God in the tabernacle. These guys are carrying all that. What's significant about this? How are they carrying a lot of these things? On sticks. On sticks on their shoulders. Yeah. They're walking. Right? 
And some of that stuff's heavy. Right? It's acacia wood and gold. Solid wood, solid gold, on sticks, walking through the wilderness. So one of the things that you'll see is, how are these stages working? They're protective, for starters. They're protective. They're surrounding the, they're surrounding the tabernacle, and they're surrounding... Because you've got the regular six, and the other six coming down here, right? After this? What's in the center? The most important stuff. The precious things, the holy things. The whole thing, the whole march is centered around protecting this. This is the center of the people group. Right here, as they're marching through the wilderness. Well, let's finish it out, just because I don't like loose ends. Um, Levites, and then who? Um, Ephraim. Eve. Manasseh, Benjamin. Man, Benj, Benji. Uh, Dan. Dan. Danny Boy. Danny Boy, oh Danny Boy. Okay, who else? Asher. Asher, Ash, and Naffy. Okay, so you have this. This is the way it looks. There, now, the way that, I mean, it doesn't say this, but a lot of the smart folks think you've got your military guys on the outside of all this, right? you got your families and kids and goats, kids of goats, are all in the middle. So you're protecting the stuff. But in the middle, the very center of it is the holy things, except for one piece. Dun, dun, dun. There's Indiana Jones at the front. Um, so, stages. The way, wh why would they travel in stages? What are, they, what are they saying? What does it say? Why would they travel in stages? What's going on here? Because the key elements are where the Levites are. You've got this section going out, followed by this section going out, followed by the rear guard going out, right? You're talking about two million, three million people? It's bigger than Tyler. It's a lot of people. Is this one going to get here before this one? Yes. Probably by several weeks, I would think, right? I mean, it's a... It's, and if they're going in stages, okay, East, move out. Okay, center group, move out. Why would they do it that way? Why do you think? Why not all march together instead of stages? I had to take a guess so they weren't like locusts and literally strip the land to its... <laughs> there, 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 is, there is some of that, I think. What else? They can set up the tabernacle before the... That's what it says, right? I mean, they're practical considerations. I'm not, I mean, I agree with that. But that's what it says. Why does the text go there rather than we don't want to strip the land? Why does it say that? The most important thing. And there's a practical reason. These guys are on foot. These guys are in carts. This takes a while to set up. These guys are holding stuff. Right? If I'm walking with three other guys, I assume, Three other guys with a table on my back for 45 miles on a, on a march. I can barely carry a backpack up a mountain for, you know, 100 feet. I'm just winded and dead. I'm sure they're more fit than I am. Most people are. But that's a lot. It's a heavy table. So it's a practical consideration. But what else is the consideration? 
There's a spiritual thing there too, isn't it? We want to honor and house the holy things of God. We want it set up and ready for Him to come in. This is our new place. Come in. They're heading to Paran. We're not sure where that is. The Levites go first to set up the tabernacle for the sacred things. They don't want the sacred things waiting. That's where the king lives. You want the king housed. That's the idea. So the Levites are followed by Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. And the language of this section indicates that this was the setup, not just for this time, but for every time they march when they're in the wilderness. This is the way they did it. All right. The, the holy things are placed in the center to show the centrality of the holy objects to the people. What objects not in? We've said the ark. And the reason I know that is because of what, what I haven't read to you yet, <coughs> which is starting in verse 29. And I love this. And Moses said, and I, I wanted to get to this just because I wanted to say Hobab in class. <laughs> and Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you for the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same will we do to you. So they set out from the mount of the Lord, three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them, three days' journey, to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. All right, and that's where we're going to stop for today. So, the ark is not with that middle group. Where's the ark? From the, out in the front. Out in front. By three days. <laughs> by three days. I think the ark can take care of itself. I saw a movie about that once. <laughs> Why is the ark out front? Why? What's, what is God showing there? That he's leading and he's providing. That he's leading. The ark is considered to be the throne of God. The very throne of God. And God, as king, is leading his people. It's very visible, out front, leading. Um, all right. Yahweh is directing and leading the children of Israel to Canaan. He's they are following his directions. He's directing and leading them. Or is he? Is he? Are we sure? Then what's this bit about Hobab? Why do we need him? So they don't all, you know, go to the middle of the desert without water. But the king's leading them. The king can, king can have subjects helping when he's leading. Okay, let's let's back up. Who is Hobab? Just because I want to say Hobab again. Father-in-law of his brothers. Because it's his father-in-law's son. It's very interesting, isn't it? 
It is. His, a lot of the smart folks think it's his brother-in-law. So he's the son of the father-in-law. The word that's in Hebrew that's used here means male-in-law. So it leaves a wide range. But from context, I think we can, we can say it's probably his brother-in-law. Which he must have been some brother-in-law. Because I'm thinking of my brother-in-law. Anyway. No, he's a good guy. I'm going home to mom and dad. Thank you. That's what this guy says. He, he, his response, what is his response? Going to my land and my family. I'm not traveling with you. You're crazy. I'm not going. What is Moses' plea in response to this rejection by Hobab? Hobab the Arab. I can see this. It's a musical. Uh, what is his response? You'll be one of us. Whatever. What's the happen. first word he says? Please do not leave us. Please. It's a please. He's really wanting this guy to go. And why is that? You're getting to it. Why is that? Why does he want him to go? He's afraid they're not going to be able to find any water or food or whatever. Why is that necessary? You got the cloud by day, the fire by night, the Shekinah glory of God leading them, providing manna from heaven, water from a rock. Why do we need Hobab? Because all the times God has provided that, he's kind of been, you know, a little bit angry as the people are being kind of grumbling now we haven't got that yet. It's coming. That's the next verse. I mean, it's chapter 11 is when we start with the grumbling, and that'll be a long journey. Um, but you've got a guy being looked to to be a guide for the people in addition to the clear leadership of God going on here. Does that not strike you as strange? Is that negative? Is that kind of like how they wanted a physical king and it wasn't mm. enough? I don't think so. I think it's a good thought. It's good to think through that, but I don't think that's what's going on here because clearly Moses is still the prophet that's there. I think what's going on is demonstrating to us how God works in a lot of situations. He often uses human means to accomplish his ends, right? I mean, we see that again and again and again. Wisdom given through men by God. God blesses people with certain skill sets. We saw that with the building of the, of the tabernacle. He, he blessed certain guys to lead the artisan stuff. Wouldn't have known how to do that. God could have just said, here, you who are used to working with sheep, here's how you make a tabernacle stuff, right? But he didn't. He blessed certain guys with knowledge of how to do that. It's the same thing here. God has given Hobab, who's very familiar with this area, who grew up here, who knows this place. This is his homeland. He knows this place. He's given him the, the wisdom on how to survive in this wilderness. And he's using him to, or at least trying to, through Moses, to get... What's his answer, by the way? Do we give it? We get his answer? No, eventually... How do we know that? Because uh, it doesn't say that he went back home. Because it's an argument of silence. Yeah. Um, actually, we do know, and you're right, in Judges, it talks about the descendants of Hobab mm -hmm. in Israel at the time. So we know from later mm -hmm. passages that 
he does go with them, even though it's not answered here, which is always frustrating to me when that happens. How do we know what happened? Well, you got to read the rest of the book. And i got to be acute, you know, attuned enough to... That's why I love cross-references, because it helps with that whole process. All right. Moses wants Hobab as a guide, not a leader. But Hobab's experience regarding food, water, and other necessities will be of help to the people. Oases for small and small pastures for flocks are often concealed in desert terrain, but this is Hobab's homeland. Who is wilderness of like? Is this desert? Is this desert? Or yes or no. Is it it's probably both. It's probably, it's, I would, I think Central Texas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's I, I argue from between Arizona and Texas. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you over that. That's probably, that's probably accurate. <laughs> now having this, and I think this goes to your point, does that diminish the leadership of Yahweh of the people. Does that diminish his leadership to have Hobab? On first thought, it seems like it does. Yeah, I would. it does feel that way, doesn't it? But he doesn't ever get reprimanded yeah. for this thing, so maybe it's fine. He doesn't get reprimanded? Yeah. As long as you don't get whacked with a stick, you're okay. How many presidents have advisors? All of them. All of them should. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You need to be able to take things that you don't understand or don't feel like dealing with right at this moment and give it to somebody you can trust with it. And we'll get to that issue later on whenever they start complaining and Moses does a little freak out moment with God and how he handles that. God often uses human means to accomplish his purposes. We tell others the gospel to be obedient to what God has commanded, but, I mean, he could just zap people. Oh, suddenly I know the gospel. I mean, he could do that. But he's chosen not to. He chooses to use us, right? Human means to accomplish a divine purpose. God decrees the ends and the means in all things, and we pray for the same reasons. I don't pray because, you know, I, you know if I use secret magic language, I can do things. It's because that's the means by which God has directed us to seek His will, to change us in the process of Him working on His plan. Alright, Hobab's response in Judges, if you're interested in the sites, it's Judges uh, 1, 16 and 4, 11 records that his descendants are there. And just take a pause for a minute. This is another example of a Gentile being grafted in to the, um, the people of Israel. Alright, verses 35 and 36 constitute a portion of, or a whole, we think, we don't know, a hymn. It's, called, it's been called the Song of the Ark, and it's a two-part hymn. One part is pronounced when the ark and the cloud begin to lead the people on a march, and the second is sung when the ark stops and the people rest. What does this demonstrate about God in this hymn? Who's praised? Not Moses. Not Hobab. Rise up, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you as we march out. Every march is an act of war. It's a conquering movement. Return, O Lord, to the tens of thousands of Israel. Every rest is a recognition of who He is and what He's done. The going out, the coming in, God is glorified. And all of it. In transition, 
in chaos, in war, in conflict, God is glorified. When He provides rest, He is glorified. Is that instructive to us? How? How is that instructive to us? Do we have chaos, transition times, conflict, war in our hearts, in our lives, in our surroundings? Do we glorify Him in those? Prayer doesn't change God's will, it changes our mindset. And so when we approach Him in all of our circumstances, it changes how, it changes our perspective on the circumstances. So if if they're looking at a man who is leading them through the wilderness, they're going to start to praise that man unless they say this as a mantra, as a remembrance, and, and remember who's actually leading. Okay. I think the cloud and the fire also help that. Yes, they do. But we don't have a cloud and fire. So today I'm looking at transition, conflict, fighting the sin in my own heart. Am I glorifying God in that? Or am I giving up? Do I throw in the towel? Or am I trying to honor Him and fight with everything within me to honor Him as I fight this stuff in my own heart? As I argue and discuss and make um, arguments to people for why, <laughs> for the exclusiveness of Christ? He's the only way. Am I doing that in a way that glorifies God or am I doing that in a way that glorifies myself? Right? Um, is he only the God of our rest? And I don't mean that in a factual standpoint. I mean, how do we act? How do we display to the world who he is? Is he only the God of good things in my life as I know them to be? He's, he's Lord of everything, right? He's Lord when... School doesn't go the way I want it to go. He's Lord when job doesn't go the way I want it to go. He's Lord when health doesn't go the way I want it to go. He's still God. He's still rising up. And we still want His enemies to be scattered. Starting with my own heart. That often comes in rebellion against Him when school and work and health don't go right. Right? Rise up, O Lord. Let this enemy be scattered. Right? That's not a hymn just for people in the desert. Is he only the God of our rest? Or is he our conquering king? Are we acting in a manner worthy of the gospel we claim to believe? And periods of conflict, and periods of transition, periods of uncertainty, is he our God? Or is He only our God when everything's smooth and I'm looking good? My clothes are neatly pressed. Which they never are. <laughs> and I don't blame Tammy for that. Alright, so I have... I've never really been much of a sports guy until recently. I've really kind of got into it because the kids, Audrey and Thane, have gotten into tennis. And, and one of the things that's just been... Const I've constantly struggled with is... Um, being better at it than you? No. <laughs> uh, sometimes. Um, one of the things I really struggle with is if it's not working in my own heart 
is it true? Do you, if I'm not growing and looking more like Jesus, then I'm, I'm, is this even true? And that's doubt, that's unbelief, that's something that I have to wrestle with a lot whenever I have pride issues, rage issues, whatever is going on in my own heart, and I have to deal with that. There, am I even saved is a question that refrains in my head in those times of transition and battle and uncertainty. Is he God? And one of the things that really helped me, oddly enough, Paul, I should have clued in on this earlier because he told Timothy the same thing, is the sports thing. And what did this for me is watching Audrey and Nathaniel progress as tennis players. Okay? Because tennis is the most unnatural sport. I mean, you're swinging a racket at a ball, and your motion that's natural will kill your game. It'll go in the net every time or go over the fence, which, I mean, that happens to me. Rarely. More often than I like to think. Um, but you have to train yourself to do things with your arms, with your body, your setup, your position, everything. A serve alone has like 24 points of, you know, whatever that you've got to set up just right to get a good serve in. My kids are learning this and I'm watching them shank ball after ball after ball and then slowly, incrementally, over time, the stuff that they're practicing is coming in. They're starting to get it. They're starting to get those awesome little passing shots on the approaches. I mean, they're starting to get all that stuff. Then comes the transition of taking what you're doing in practice and putting it in real world circumstances. Match play. Am I going to skyball it like I do as a normal 12 year old or am I going to play like a tennis player and get out there in a match doing this? this all this stuff is swirling around. I'm watching this. I'm going, okay, that's sanctification, right? It's a pretty clear picture. I'm almost 50 and this is clicking with me how this is supposed to look because I want to be like the infinity gauntlet. I'm holy, right? <laughs> Is that from Deuteronomy? Yes, it is. It's one of the holy things. It's got all the jewels on the breastplate of the priest. It's 12 stones instead of 6. Okay, I know, it's awful. I want it to be that way, but it's not. And here's something that really killed me. Audrey had this issue with her, with her serve, her first serve, her hard serve. And so she was doing fine, doing fine, and then eventually she, had to, she started getting pain in her elbow. And it just got really bad. And she had to drop out of a tournament one time after winning a match that she just struggled through. She won it on a tie break and she's crying the whole time because her arm hurt. She just, I'm not gonna quit, I'm not gonna quit, I'm gonna get through. She finally said, I gotta, I gotta drop out. So she dropped out, she would've won it, but she dropped out. Um, and then we're like, what's going on with your elbow? And she's, she's got several coaches, okay? Because she can't do this alone. She can't figure it out alone. She's not watching her body as she's doing. She's just doing the thing. She needs people's eyes on her who know what they're doing and are familiar with this territory looking at her. And one coach who had trained her the right way to do it didn't catch this, but another coach said, oh, you're bringing it too far back. Your body's doing this, and it's whipping your elbow as you're doing it. And she's got kind of loose joints, and she hyperextended her elbow really badly and had to wear a brace for like months on it while it was healing. It set her back. A little mechanical issue that crept in set her back for months. 
But we would have never figured it out unless she had been around people with wisdom who knew the situation, who could identify what the problem was. Paul uses sports as a metaphor for the Christian life. You can't get there by yourself. You can't get there without other people looking at your life, examining what's going on, and doing minute course corrections, sometimes major radical course corrections for your game. We can't get there. Is he glorified in our fighting? Well, one of the means of him being glorified is the people that he puts in our lives to help coach us and grow us into the... The most unnatural thing for my heart is to look like Jesus. It's unnatural. I'm driving on the loop, being very natural. <laughs> For me, not to act that way is unnatural. And yet, I have to submit to what are the rules of the game. Right? I have to have people around me speaking to me. Hey, you know what? <clears throat> that may feel good. It may feel natural to do that but you're killing your game. Because here's the thing that scares me. Every incident of judgment in the New Testament, sheep and the goats and all those others that you see, it's not, well, did you ask Jesus into your heart? Enter into my rest. Mm -hmm. Never says that. No incident of judgment ever says that. Did you, did you know all the creeds? Enter into my rest. No, it's what you do and you don't do. That's what Jesus looks at in those parables. It's what you do. It's how you play the game. And we're not going to play the game well unless we're following and doing the means of grace that He's given us, which is in the rules, in the Word, in prayer, submitting ourselves to Him, being in the people of God, in the midst of them, being coached and taught and, and challenged by them. These are the means that He's given us. And they're human means. We've got to do the stuff. There's God that works in us by His grace, but we're not to sit at the foot of the mountain. We're to get out in the wilderness. We're to be challenged. We're to be striving and conquering and doing the things that are unnatural to us. That's not easy. And you can't do it. I can't either. I've told you again and again and again, my life is like the Titanic. Don't do what I've done. I'm a warning to everyone. I've tried this alone. It's not helpful. You have to be in the Word. You have to be in prayer or you'll lose it. You'll come to the end of the match having lost. Don't do it. She doesn't go, when Audrey goes to her coaches and she's got a problem, she doesn't just, and he says, how was your game? She doesn't say, I'm fine, I'm good, it's all good. You know, swinging arm here, coming up, about to come off. She has to be honest with him. How are we approaching community? Smiles on Sunday morning, doing the thing. Or are we being, I need help, I need coaching, I need prayer, I need whatever. This is not a game. To, I'm using a lot of sports puns. It's not a game. 
It's life and death. And how we approach it has eternal consequences. We can numb ourselves to the routine of church and not realize I'm missing it. I've got a mechanics issue. I just want to, because I saw the look. We're not saved by works. <laughs> we're saved by grace. But how it expresses itself, we know that we're saved by grace, right? Justify your faith to me by your works, James says. If we're not doing the stuff, we need to be looking inside to see if we've got the stuff to do, to do it, right? If he's there, if, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. How do we test? What does Jesus say? Did you visit the sick? Did you visit those in prison? Did you feed the poor? Did you, you know, what are we doing? Are you ministering to brothers who are in need? Are, is the out, out, ex, outward expression of your faith one of submission and love and generosity and, and um, sacrifice for the other? That's what it looks like, and that's what we're called to do, and we're not going to get there. It's unnatural. That game won't work without the means of grace. Any comments, any questions? I know it went wrong. A whole three minutes. Comments, questions, fruit to be thrown. Thank you. It's good to have you back. Well, thank you for, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Then let's quickly pray. God, we do thank you for your grace that is sufficient for us. We thank you that in your grace you provided us means by which to grow day by day into the image of Jesus. The psalmist uses the imagery of a tree. God, that takes a long time. And we're impatient fast food people. I pray that you give us the heart for the long game, the process that you've called us into shaping us into your image, and that it's a lifelong struggle, a lifelong battle, and that we never stop working on our game to look more like Jesus. We thank you that you've given us the means by which to do it through your spirit, through your word, through prayer, through the community of the saints. Father, give us wisdom to keep pressing forward for the glory and honor of Christ who is glorified whether we are in battle, in transition, or whether we're at rest. We thank you for this. In his name we pray. Amen.